Let's pray. Lord Jesus, in this world with all its struggles and trials, tribulations, this um, prayer that You offered on behalf of Your people and uh, the comfort with which um, You comfort us by this prayer, especially that last phrase, that I have made known to them Your name and I will continue to make it known that the love with which You have loved me may be in them and I in them. Lord, armed with just that one sentence, we are prepared for anything that should come our way because You you are promising there to love us or that the Father will love us with the same love with which He loved you. And that we will know that love. And not only will we know that love, but you are also promising to be in us. Oh Lord, we thank you for these words of comfort. Assure our hearts as we open now uh, and not only read, but also proclaim uh, and hear proclaimed Your holy word. We ask in Jesus' name, Amen. Most of you know that I did not become a Christian until my freshman year at Georgia Southern College. The resident assistant in my dorm led my roommate and myself to Christ. Almost immediately, both my roommate and myself began to tell others about Jesus Christ. And it was only natural. I was so in love with Christ that I wanted everybody to know about Him. But then something happened. As I began to try and explain the Gospel over and over to different people, I began to have a whole lot of questions myself. When I was a new Christian, of course I understood that my salvation was a free gift from God. I understood that Jesus Christ died on the sins to pay for all my sins. And that all I could do was trust in Him. That there was no way that I deserved to be saved. I knew I was a sinner. I knew that there was nothing I could do to be saved. That it was all about Jesus. But as I began to tell others about this free gift of salvation, I would also tell them all that they needed to do in order to receive His salvation. For instance, I would tell them that they needed to believe the gospel message, which is true. I also told them that they needed to repent of their sins, which is true. I also told them that they needed to commit themselves fully and completely to Jesus Christ, which is true. I told them that their lifestyle would need to change, which is true. I told them that they needed to die to themselves, which again was true. But one day it occurred to me that our salvation didn't seem so free if there were all these things that they needed to do 
in order to receive this free salvation. And this became a tremendous struggle for me. I can distinctly remember thinking about salvation and about how it could be free and yet there be things that I was required to do. And so I began thinking about salvation in terms of buying a hot dog. Um, I know it doesn't make a lot of sense how I can make a connection between buying a hot dog and my salvation in Jesus Christ. Uh, I still wonder how I originally made that connection because that's been many years ago. I think uh, basically I really liked hot dogs in college. And so hot dogs were a staple diet in my col- in, in, during my college days and um, hence the connection was made. I can't remember all the details in my mind of how buying a hot dog uh, related to salvation, but I, essentially I think it went something like this. Uh, Jesus bought my salvation. In other words, Jesus paid the price for my hot dog, if I may say that as reverently as, as, uh, as I may. He, he paid the price. Um, and uh, He paid it by His death on the cross, by His resurrection from the dead. And so the things that He required of me, like faith, like repentance, like commitment to Him, all these were somehow side extras. So for instance, my faith, my repentance, my obedience, uh, these were like the mustard, ketchup, and relish. So that when you buy a hot dog, no one ever makes you pay extra for for the condiments. They're just thrown in for free. And so that's a picture of my immature theological musings. Eventually, I began to read books on Christian theology. Unfortunately, the books that I read... Um, were more harmful for my spiritual growth than my hot dog analogy. Um, the books taught me about the so-called carnal Christian doctrine. These books set out to answer the question I was asking. They, were, they set out to answer the question of how could salvation be free and yet uh, things be required of us by God? Uh, and so the carnal Christian, here's the way the carnal Christian taught um, that our salvation was free, but yet um, how that would relate to things that, that were expected of us. Uh, the carnal Christian doctrine, of course, said that Jesus um, paid the price for our sins by His death on the cross and by His resurrection from the grave. So the only requirement left for salvation was trust in Christ. Since faith did not involve any outward works, but faith took place in your mind, then it was not considered a work. It was not considered a good work. It was something you just simply placed your trust in Christ, and um, and so that was all you had to do. But then what about repentance? What about obedience? What about commitment to Christ? These are outward works. What do you do with those things? Well, the carnal Christian doctrine taught that these things were secondary in the Christian life. 
that they were not required for salvation. They were helpful for a Christian to leave to live an effective or I can still remember the little illustration to live an orderly Christian life, but they were not ultimately necessary. In other words, as long as a person made a profession of faith in Jesus, the carnal Christian doctrine would teach, then they could go on to live an unrepentant and immoral and worldly life and still go to heaven. The biblical doctrines of assurance of salvation and perseverance of the saints were then changed to... um, so people begin instead of talking about assurance of salvation and perseverance of the saints, they began to talk about once saved, always saved. As long as you made a profession of faith, you were saved. You're going to heaven. And to tell a person that they needed to submit to Christ, or that they needed to repent of their sins, according to the carnal Christian doctrine, was to teach a works salvation. You were accused of teaching a lordship salvation, they would say. This idea of the carnal Christian doctrine has devastated the modern church, making repentance and obedience and commitment to Christ as options has made the church all but indistinguishable from the world. Additionally, it has made one's profession the end-all, be-all of the Christian life. So as long as you've made a profession of faith, then you're saved. That's what happened in my own life in 10th grade. I walked an aisle. You know you know how this worked. Every head bowed, every eye closed. Is there anyone here who's not a Christian? Raise your hand. And I walked the aisle. They didn't even bother asking me if I understood the Gospel. They simply say, said to me, now you're saved. Satan will try and tell you that you're not a Christian. Uh, Never doubt your salvation. For the next two and a half, three years, God was telling me that I wasn't a Christian. But I would never doubt my salvation because I thought that I was saved. So this jargon, with every head bowed, every eye closed, this comes from this exclusive emphasis on the profession of faith as the only means of salvation. Um, Have you ever read in the Bible where Jesus or any of the other apostles employed such methods? Have you ever read in the Bible where Jesus said, okay, all you Jews, uh, as I'm preaching, all of you who aren't saved, bow your heads, close your eyes, nobody peeking, raise your hand if you are not a believer and want to become a believer. Do Do you ever remember the apostles teaching like that? No, of course not. You know, another danger is that some of our children trust in Jesus Christ at a very young age, even so young that they can't remember a time when they were apart from Christ. They were all born apart from Christ. Make no mistake about it. Uh, Everyone who is born into this world, except for the Lord Jesus Christ, after Adam's sin, everyone who's born is born dead in sins, needs to be uh, made alive by God's Spirit, needs to be regenerated. Every person except for Jesus who has been born into this world because of Adam's sin needs to be saved. 
But there are some of our children, many of them, I would guess, who trust in Jesus Christ because they have been hearing the Gospel preached in church week in and week out, taught in Sunday school, um, taught to them by their parents, read to them through the Scriptures. And they have a full uh, salvation in Jesus Christ. But because of this exclusive emphasis on having to make a profession of faith, they're treated as second-class citizens in the kingdom of God, or actually say we're said to be outside the kingdom of God when they trust in Jesus Christ. And so that's another danger of this idea of the carnal Christian doctrine and, and making everything dependent upon this profession of faith. There are a lot of people walking around that made their profession of faith. They signed on the little card on the date that they became a Christian. On this day, I, I uh, made a profession of faith in Christ. They put it in their wallet and they hope to take it out when they get to heaven and show God when He says, why should I let you into my heaven? Well, 20 years ago, I walked an aisle. I made a profession of faith. I never went in church again. I lived like the world. In fact, I was... Uh, more of a of an immoral person than many of my uh, neighbors who never made a profession of faith. But but I signed the card. God, you got to let me in. That is heresy. There are many people walking around with a false assurance, and there are many who live Christian lives that are stunted because they have a difficulty understanding then how their salvation relates to how they live a Christian life. And just to be clear, so that no one misunderstands me, I'm not saying that you can be saved without Jesus. Everyone needs to have faith in Jesus Christ. In fact, He is the only way of salvation. But whether you be a three-year-old that hears about Christ and trusts in Him, or whether you be um, a middle-aged or an older person who is only hearing about Jesus Christ for for the first time and trusting in Him for the first time, it is only through Jesus that you're saved. So please don't misunderstand me as I um, am speaking against this this idea of the the carnal Christian doctrine. The reason why I've spoken uh, at length about this doctrine is because I want you, as we come to the end of John chapter 17, to understand the full weight of what Jesus is saying here. And what Jesus is saying here is that you are loved by Him if you are in Him. And that that love and that relationship is intimate. That it's not just based on, on a profession of faith that you made and then forgot about. But rather, it is a faith, it is an ongoing living Faith as is a an ongoing living relationship with him. And 
so I wanted to clear away these ideas that uh, different uh, Christians have about about uh, what salvation is. Salvation is not about your profession. Salvation is about Jesus Christ and what He has done. He died on the cross to pay for your sins. He lived a perfect life and then gave Himself up to the cross in perfect obedience to the Father in order that His obedience and His righteousness may be given to you. And not only that, but He also, by His Spirit, or well, by His death on the cross, purchased for you regeneration. He purchased for you your faith. He purchased for you your repentance. He purchased for you your good works. He purchased for you your sanctification, your glorification. It is all His work. He does things for you, forgiving you of your sins and giving you His righteousness. He does in you regeneration, sanctification, glorification. It is all His work. And so your how your Christian um, faith is related to your Christian life is it is all in Jesus. He is the branch. I'm sorry, He is the vine. We are the branch. Everything is related to Him. Everything comes in Him. You don't have a disjointed salvation. You don't have uh, a Savior who is not your Lord. It is all about Jesus. And so as we look at the passage, and we're just going to be very brief here, I want to look specifically at um, verse 24. In verse 24, he says, Father, I desire that they also whom You have given Me may be with Me where I am to see My glory that You have given Me because You love Me before the foundation of the world. Christ, is focused on us. And just to remind you, in verse 20, uh, he says, I do not ask these things, I do not ask for these only, but also for those who will believe in me through uh, their word. In other words, he's praying for us here. He's not just praying for his disciples, he's praying for all of us, for all of us who would trust in him. And he's saying here that his desire in verse 24 is that we may know that uh, the Father sent Him and loved them, uh, even as He as um, He loved uh, Jesus Christ, and so He desires that um, those whom He has that the Father has given to Him will be with Him will, and and experience. Uh, this relationship and will know His love for them. Uh, I'm sorry for stumbling around. I'd gotten a little ahead of myself and I want to back up and simply say that um, Christ, He's only a few minutes away from being betrayed. He's only then a, uh, a mere few hours from that, that unjust trial that he went through, those unjust trials actually, and then uh, just 
several hours away from His crucifixion. But His last prayer here is consumed with us. Uh, He's focused on us. There's nothing more important to Christ than us. He loves you. And in His last hour was praying for you. Christ said, it is my desire as He prayed to the Father. And the, the object of His desire was us. And if He's praying for us, will God answer that prayer? Absolutely. He's praying that God would keep them. He says, notice here in verse 24, uh, as He speaks of us, He says, those whom You have given Me. When were we given to Christ Jesus? When did God the Father give us to Jesus Christ? In eternity past. You are one of God's chosen ones if you were in Jesus Christ. You were on His heart from eternity past. You were His special object of interest and concern in eternity past. He came here into this world for you. And you would never have come to Him if He did not draw you to Himself. You were on His heart. He came and died for you. When you were born into this world, your heart was against Him and away from Him. But He loved you and uh, drew you to Himself. We have been chosen as opposed to us choosing. We chose Him simply because He first chose us. We love Him because He first loved us. The reason I make this point is we far too often think of ourselves as making the final choice. We think we're the ones who decided that we wanted to be righteous. We think sometimes that we're the ones who decided we're going to become a Christian. So we end up trusting ourselves to some extent and we lose sight of God's sovereign grace. We lose sight of the fact that it is God who saves us. And therefore, it is God who keeps us. It is God who sustains us. It is God who causes us to grow. It is all about God. And so he, again, verse 24, Father, I desire that they also whom you have given me may be with me. Again, we often think of salvation as being um, safety from hell. You know, get out of hell free card. We, uh, is, that's the way salvation is often presented. Do you want to go to hell? Of course you don't. Well, then you better flee to Jesus. But the essence of our salvation is that we are with Jesus. Also, whom you have given me may be with me where I am. All of us, however young, however old, death awaits us unless the Lord Jesus Christ comes back before we die. It is a reality. And it is very tempting. We talked a little bit about this in Sunday school. 
Um, we we tend to worry about death. It can have us. It, it can uh, make us very fearful. Christ prayed for you. His desire for you in His prayer that will be answered is that you be with Him. Death can seem like you know going into the grave. It can seem pretty lonely. But Christ is saying there's nothing lonely about it because once we die, we are with Him. Death will not be a time of being alone. It will be a time of intense fellowship with Jesus Christ. And then He goes to say um, that they may be where I am to see My glory. That's what we're going to do when we get to heaven. We're going to, we're going to behold the glory of Jesus. We're going to be able to somehow take it in and experience what, what, it, what Christ, His glory. But this is not His divinity that He's speaking of because He says, uh, to see My glory that You have given Me. See, He's already had glory from all eternity. And so this the glory that's given Him is not uh, His divinity, but rather it is the glory of His coming and being the Savior for sinners. It is the glory of Him who knew no sin that became sin for us to pay the penalty that we deserve to pay and then to rise gloriously from the dead. This is the glory that the Father has given Him is His his salvation glory. And we're going to be able to see and understand that in a much greater way even than we are able to now. And then, uh, I'm jumping out of the passage real quickly to First um, John chapter 3, verse 2. You don't need to turn there, but he says, Beloved, we are God's children now, and what we will be has not yet appeared. But we know that when He appears, we shall be like Him, because we shall see Him as He is. In some way, that glory, even though we didn't do anything uh, to save ourselves from that from our sins, we didn't... Uh, we didn't die for our own sins or anything else, but because we're connected to Him so intimately, He is going to share His glory with us. In uh, Philippians chapter 3, verse 20 and 21, Paul says, Our citizenship is in heaven, and from it we await a Savior, the Lord Jesus Christ, who will transform our lowly body to be like His glorious body by the power that enables Him to subject all things to Himself. No matter how weak you feel as a Christian, no matter how much a failure you may feel as a Christian for, for the way that you respond to things or the, the, um, the struggles that you have, you are going to be transformed. Your lowly body is going to share in the glory that Jesus has in Himself. I don't understand it, but it is something worth looking forward to. The end of your life is not the end. 
We will be with Him, He promises. We shall see Him, He promises. We shall share in His glory, He promises. If you struggle or believe one of those salvations that is contingent upon you, put it aside, throw it away. Focus your salvation. Focus all your attention on Jesus Christ because He is our salvation. He prayed for you to be with Him. He prayed for you to see Him. He prayed for you to share His glory. You can know that you will do it. All those things are yours in Jesus Christ regardless of how you feel this morning. Let's pray together. Lord Jesus, we thank You for the glory that You have in Yourself because You came and suffered an un, um, a, 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 a death that You did not deserve to die. Uh, but You became sin for us and died willingly in order that You might be our Savior. Father, I do pray that You would help us to have a salvation that uh, focuses on Christ alone. Father, again, as I prayed at the beginning, I pray again, verse 26, as You have made known to us uh, the Father's name and will continue to make known uh, and reveal the Father to us, that You will also continually reveal the love um, of the Father to us, that same love with which He loved You, and remind us that You are always in us. You will never leave us or forsake us. We ask in Your name. Amen.